Welcome, everybody, to Live from the Dutch Hall. I'm your co-host tonight, the no man one, who writes the music for the show. Hey, hey, no one gives a shit about uh, you and who the fuck you are. I mean, we're the Haitian Dwarfs in trouble right now, and he needs our help. Let's get the show started. Let's play the theme song. All right. <laughs> you knew the Haitian Dwarf was in trouble. Well, it's a big show. I haven't been here thought you were going for like a big intro kind of yeah dave you know that's a great song You know, uh, listening to that theme song at the beginning of the show, it always, uh, you know, it really did make me think about all the great efforts that my good friend Dave Chars has put in to help him make this show a success. And then uh, it also made me think, you know, Dave, I didn't think I mistreated you at the beginning of the show. You know, I interrupted your, your big opening there that you worked so hard on. You did hurt my feelings a little bit. Well, you know, I'm concerned about the Haitian Dwarf. You know, that's what it's all about today. And the Haitian Dwarf's in big trouble. And there's a certain amount of urgency in, involved with us you know, addressing this issue, and so I just, you know, I, what I did was my I let my worry for my my listener, my great listener, the Haitian dwarf, cloud the friendship that I had standing right in front of me, and seeing the sacrifice that a good buddy of mine does come in the Dutch. I treat you, I treat you poorly, Dave. Uh, I apologize. You know what? I I know you've always been the kind of guy to wear your emotions on your sleeve, and sometimes you know what's inside just bubbles out to the surface. It's hard to control. So, you know. Yeah, I forgive you. Well, I feel very strongly about my listeners, and um, our one of our great listeners, the Haitian Dwarf, he's in trouble. Uh, he's reached out to me after many weeks of silence, and, well, we shouldn't really talk about the Haitian Dwarf. We want, to, we want to help the guy out, but it's not very fitting if we talk about him without playing his theme song. What is going on? I'm very curious. Well, you know what? There's a certain amount of uh, protocol that we, we expect at Live from the Dutch Hall. This is an organized show. It's a professional show. What we do is we get together every week, every Thursday, and we, we release quality material, broadcasting material. So we have a certain format that we follow, and one of the things we do is we play theme songs for the different things. <laughs> and we're talking about the Haitian Dwarf, so I think it's only fitting. Well, you know what? We, we, we should play your theme song too, right, Dave? The Daffodil Rooster? Oh, thanks. There you go. Yeah, it's very, it's hardcore, Dave. It's probably a little more hard, hardcore than you are. I, I will introduce you properly because I feel so bad about this before we get into the Haitian Dwarf stuff. Today we have my uh, good friend and uh, the man that might write some music from the show, Dave Charters, is here. And he's also one of the uh, great minds in the automotive industry, which he, he always downplays on this show. But we're lucky to have him here today, our, my good buddy, Dave Charters. Let's hear it for him again. It's a real pleasure to make the trip out here to uh, Pine Grove. All right, Dave. Now we got all out of the way and we're all good with one another. Let's let's play the Haitian Dwarfs theme song and let's get this thing going. Where is it? H. Oh. Hey ho, hey ho. One more. 
<laughs> I love that word. I won't even play it. I'm going to keep it kind of clean. <laughs> it's where it gets dirty. Well, the Haitian Dwarf has always been there for us, and, and uh, right from the beginning. And lately, I think we've it's been probably three or four weeks I haven't heard from the Haitian Dwarf, not since uh, the anniversary show. So we were getting kind of worried about uh, about the Haitian Dwarf, and uh, and we miss his feedback. I got to be honest; uh, every week I'm excited to hear it, and it hasn't been there. Yeah, no. Well, this week, uh, hey, are you? This is t- kind of feedback, eh? It's kind of feedback, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Well, we can't really get into the Haitian Dwarf thing, and as part of our feedback segment, without playing the f- the feedback we got feedback theme song, <laughs> it wouldn't be proper. So let's just play the feedback we got. What a great song. We got feedback. <laughs> Oh, kind of backwards. Welcome to feedback. We got feedback uh, because we already are talking about the Haitian dwarf, our greatest, uh, our greatest listener. I'd call him, and he's the guy that's been there from the beginning, and he's in deep, deep trouble this week as he's reached out to us. But uh, you know, we wouldn't uh, before getting into that. We should really thank our sponsors for sponsoring the show. Uh, if you'd ever like to help out the show, and this show makes zero dollars and zero cents, I shouldn't. Well, not really. I made four dollars from VG Meats the other the other month. I think it was two months worth of earnings, all from what I hear is was Ryan Vanderbush's contributions. <laughs> he loves meat. <laughs> he, right? he does, and he loves supporting life from the Dutch Hall. And we really do appreciate all that support from both VG Meats and Ryan Vanderbush. And what he loves more than meat is getting a good deal on meat. Yeah, you get a good deal from it. And if you go to my website, Live from the Dutch Hall. Dot com, and you'll look, you'll see a VG Meats coupon. They always are nice enough to give me a new one. And uh, this 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 campaign we're running, I think you're going to get a good deal on chicken wings for a Super Bowl party you might be throwing. And also there's a great deal on beef tenderloins there. So go on the website, again, livefromthedutchhall.com, and, and uh, you can print out the VG Meats coupon, bring it in there, and convince them that it is really a, a, a real thing. And they will honor it. They promise. Either at Stony Creek or in Simcoe. So thanks again for uh, the help there. And also, the Amazon page. We're getting pretty close to our first Amazon check if uh, because there was a lot of great support during the Christmas uh, time. So uh, to get a check, you need 100 bucks. So we're getting close to 100 bucks uh, on the Canadian one. So thanks for everyone that's helped on the Amazon thing. And if you go to, again, the livefromthedutchhall.com website and click on the Amazon banner and do all your Amazon shopping that way, some of the money can come back and help the show. And uh, thank you to everyone that's bought T-shirts. If you do want a Life in the Dutch Hall T-shirt, just give me a uh, give me a message at Life in the Dutch Hall gmail.com. I'll make sure that you're included in the next big order, and uh, we'll ship it out to you. Uh, Twenty bucks, and and uh, that's a steal. That is a fine article of clothing, and I can tell you that when I wear mine, I get a lot of looks from the ladies. A lot of looks. Well, I'm on a volleyball team, Dave, called... I'm going to give a shout-out to the old volleyball team I'm on, Diggers with Attitude. We play in the Norfolk Volleyball Association. And um, DWA. DWA is what we call ourselves. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're a, a good... Uh, we're not in the uh, uh, elite league. We're in more more of a B-minus team, but we're, we're improving every week. And we really like to see the strides we're taking with uh, Diggers with Attitude. And uh, what we've we have war our uh, uniform for the team is we're all black. We want to create great amount of intimidation to the other team they, when they look across the net and all they see a, a bunch of people dressed in black. Just a sea of black. So we have worn the life of the Dutch Hall T-shirts uh, when we played volleyball. My wife and I did, and uh, they were a big hit. And in fact, the whole team wants one. We're going to be sponsored by Life from the Dutch Hall going forward. So you'll be seeing diggers with attitude spiking the ball in your face wearing a Life from the Dutch Hall. A T-shirt. So look look out for us coming. It was a big hit. The T-shirt's really taken off. And um, 
Oh, one other thing. Uh, there's been a few people that have donated on PayPal. There is an option to donate on PayPal. And uh, if you are, you are named a shareholder of Life from the Dutch Hall. And with being a shareholder, you get certain perks as far as uh, after hours or behind the scenes audio clips. Uh, you can uh, you get certain privileges, and also what you do get with a donation over twenty dollars is a live from the Dutch Hall T-shirt. So feel free to go on PayPal and do that. And the only other plug I have is if you go on Eventful, no matter where you are in the world, if you get five people to say they want Pete Van Dyke to come to their town, he will come to your town. That's a commitment that we're making. So uh, look at on Eventful.com and do a search for Pete Van Dyke, and we can bring live from the Dutch Hall. To your living room or back shed or man cave, as much as I hate to say it. Or actual cave if you're in Afghanistan or something. Yeah, Maybe you're in a cave. A cave. A life from the Dutch Hall broadcast from a cave in Afghanistan. I would do it. I would definitely do that. It would be an experience of a lifetime. I've been trying to book a show with uh, Ryan Vandenbush to talk about his experiences in Afghanistan and uh, with the uh, NHL alumni. So we're still working on scheduling for that one, but I think it would be an interesting show. And He's actually going across, over to do another tour where he's going to uh like a warship off the coast of sicily and then to kuwait i think that they're going to go to play uh, ball hockey with the troops oh cool yeah so hopefully we can talk to him when he gets back and see uh how the trip went and get some insight on what's going on in other parts of the world i think it might be a cool show anyways that's all the advertisements and we got all the theme songs out of the way and now it's just time to talk about our good buddy the haitian dwarf he's in big trouble dave what's we got a certain on? amount of urgency Right? Certain amount of urgency. What is going on and how can we help? Well, this is the, the piece of feedback, the disturbing feedback that I got. It was, uh, he said episode 56, which I, I'm, I've lost track of the, uh, of the episode numbers. Excuse me. Uh, but this one he gave five stars to. And I assume he's talking about uh, Pete might get murdered by the comments here. He says, uh, this is the disturbing news. Some religious folks showed up at my hut and kidnapped me. That's terrible. Religious folks. They found him at his hut? Yeah. Some religious folks showed up at my hut and kidnapped me. They are demanding an official apology from the podcast, or they say they're going to, in quotations, behead me, if you know what I mean. I think this would be a great loss to the female community if this were to take place. Please do what you can, dot, dot, dot. You know, which I think is trying to indicate that he doesn't know what's going to happen. Good heavens. With the dot, dot, dot. So this very, very serious, serious news about our good friend, the Haitian Dwarf. And I'm afraid that some of my comments on the Pete Might Get Murdered episode may have caused this from certain religious folks, as he says, religious folks. And I'm really hoping it's not the Catholics, Dave. I'm, I hope it's not the Catholics for your sake. You know, you know, being a staunch Catholic and all, and uh, in light of some of the comments of the Pope, uh, made this week about punching people in the face if they talk about your mother. Did you hear about the Pope? I did not hear that. Well, he did. He said that. He said... Uh, and I'm a big fan of this new Pope, but I didn't hear that. Well, I can tell you, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't listen to uh, uh, much... Uh, I don't watch much TV, to be honest with you. Just wrestling. That's about <laughs> And the news. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and, some, and, uh, some, and the comedy network. That's about all the things I watch on TV, but very sparingly. I don't watch a lot of it. And, uh, but I do listen to a lot of podcasts. And one of the podcasts I listen to is um, a Penn Sunday School with Penn Gillette. You know Penn Gillette? Oh, from Penn and Teller? Yeah, Penn and Teller. Yeah. And I do regard Penn Gillette as, a, uh, as an intellect. He's you know? brilliant. Yeah, I think he's an interesting guy. But I don't necessarily always agree with him. He's a staunch atheist is what uh, Penn's, uh, Penn Gillette is, right? And uh, I know that's in stark contrast to yourself. I used to like him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Till just now. Yeah, but it, I'll tell you, uh, Penn... 
Uh, he's um, he mentioned the Pope, and he didn't like him one bit. And he he felt a lot of his comments are uh, hypocritical and stuff. And I d- couldn't understand because I love the new Pope. I'm a big fan of the new Pope. I have a figurine in my windowsill. The new Pope waving at me every day yeah. when I come in. He's waving right now. Yeah, he's, look at him over there, just waving. Pope Francis, eh, Frank? Man of people. Frankie. I, and I tweet the Pope all the time, as everyone knows. I tweet him because uh, he is a, ma- a Pope of the people, and I'm a person. And uh, on Twitter, that's what I like about Twitter, is that everyone's a person. You can reach out to anybody and talk to them. You know, so I reach out to the Pope. Why wouldn't I reach out to the Pope? I'm a big fan, right? So I've been trying to get a yard sale going and uh, uh, make comments every once in a while to him. You know, just about things I think he could be doing better or whatever. And he hasn't responded to me yet, but I know he reads it. You know, he's a Pope of the people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's a busy guy. But anyways, uh, he was actually asked a question about this, a lot of the... Um, terrorist activity that's going on and um he said uh whether it was okay or not to make fun of a person's religion you know that That was was, a question that was a question put to him him, yeah and he said that uh i think uh, he was uh traveling with one of his uh guy that books it's basically his travel agent you know the guy that books all his his his, like assistant you know and he said, if my good friend here whatever his assistant is uh were to make a comment of my mother about my mother he should expect a punch in the face, is what he said, right? Really? And that was his analogy to say, you know, like when things are dear to people, you know, and you make a comment that's uh, disparaging to something that is dear to people, that uh, you can expect them to lash out. Yeah, you don't. You're not. They're not going to. You're. You're not often going to be welcome with hugs, you know, kind of thing. That was his comment, right? Which was uh, perceived by some to be promoting violence, you know. Uh, because he was saying that th- that happens, and he's also saying it, some said took it a step further, say he was justifying some of the radical violence, you know, in, in the terrorist activities by justifying that ma- ma- manner. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know what you're saying, but he's probably more like just justifying humanity that you know. Yeah, certain people get their feelings hurt and they get pissed off. People get upset and they lash out sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Anyways. So I would hope, when the comments like that, that the Pope's not taking a turn to the violent and and getting uh, Catholics to go kidnap poor Haitians out of their out of their um, huts, you know, and threaten to cut their genitals off if they don't uh, uh, if they if they make fun. Like I I didn't make fun of Jesus Christ. Genitals? They said he was going to behead him. Be no, it was quotations behead, and then he said that when, the what I think he says here he says uh, if you know what I mean, behead me. If you know what I mean, that to me oh. it insinuates that he's talking about his genitals. No, because it says in quotations, um, "behead," and then there's in brackets, "if you, if know. you know what I mean." Oh. But if he meant his head, why would he say, "if you know what I mean, my head"? You know, he oh, said yeah. his head. If you know what I mean? He said, "if you know what I mean." It's quotations head. Why would he behead? If he was talking about actually beheading him, he would just wouldn't put in quotations. He would just say behead. Yeah, me. right. Yeah, I'm down with that. He's these. That's what I mean. It's not like these. Like I mean, in the I I would you know I wouldn't want to say the ISIS got him you know like you come out and say ISIS got the Haitian dwarf took him out of his hut and they're gonna cut his head off that's one of the moves they would make but I haven't seen them go so far as to cut a person's genitals off you know because of a comment made on a stupid podcast that no one listens to you know that's right maybe I don't know I think we need to look at the facts here right what do we know for sure well they're they're religious folks which 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 it could we have to look at it what we got here it, the Catholics haven't been known for acts of violence like that, but the Pope has made some pretty bold comments about punch people in the face now you look at the uh, Hindus 
You know, I, I didn't insult the Hindus. They have no beef with me. I didn't even mention them. I don't know who their god. Never is on a the, show. Never. I don't think I've gone after the Hindus yet. Have I? The Hindu. I don't even. Oh, I, I told that story, the ridiculous sure story about how they have the cow that drinks the milk out of the spoon. Do you remember that? Yeah. And there was a cow. And one time when, when I was in England, the the cow drank the milk from the spoon. It was a big celebration. I think that was the Hindus. Hey, that's crazy shit. We should keep a list of people we've, <laughs> we've insulted. <laughs> yeah, it would help know. in these investigations. Now, I think if I look back at the so it's t- a religious per- it's a, a religious folks. We know that religious folks. It says it right there. Religious folks got them right. And I would I would draw a connection. If they're going to behead him, in quotations, yeah. if you know what I mean, mm-hmm. we know that the Haitian dwarf in the past has uh, contemplated the Nullo procedure. Yeah, yeah. So what that tells me is if they're coming to behead him, right? I think there's a good chance that they listen to the show, whoever they are. Well, they did. They, they must have listened. They must know that the Haitian dwarf was contemplating that and decided it wasn't a good move, so he didn't do it, and right. now... Maybe they know that's near and dear to his heart, so that's something they want to take away from him because they know that's a decision he's made to keep his head. Right. Well, I... They want to take it away from him. <laughs> so the, it's a religious group, and they definitely listen to the show. Right, which I, I can look at my IP address to find out what where the part what parts of the world listen to my show. And not just the Peacock Murdered show, but many shows. <laughs> you think it wasn't just that one? I can't pin down my... My offensiveness to the one episode. I think you also have to look at the Nullo show. Who listened to that one? The Null. Oh, they think they're giving they're giving him what he wants. This guy, or what he knows he doesn't want. Oh, because he's made the decision. This is something that they think is currency to him, and to me. Yeah, exactly. Maybe they've heard me reach out saying, "Please don't cut your penis off in a Nullo procedure, Haitian dwarf," because right. I feel that's drastic measures and has gone too far. And what you have is a glorious gift given from God, which is a huge set of genitals comparatively to your body size. Right, and so you like uh, I I felt strongly that it would be a horrible mistake to get to de- to uh, deny the world of such a great gift from God Himself. You know? So what can they do to the Haitian dwarf that that they know is going to hurt him, but also, more importantly, hurt is going to hurt you because I'm the one that offended him, right? Yeah, yeah. So th- this does this does open up the whole world because uh, I have had listeners from all over the place, you know, like different countries. I actually, I actually, after I did that episode, because I was a bit scared. I got to admit, I was a bit scared. I just, I just t- dipped my toe in the water, eh? But uh, I was a little bit worried. And then I, right after, I had a uh, a listener from Egypt, right? And I was like, Egypt. I said, okay, Egypt. Uh, well, maybe. It's close. Uh, you know, I don't want to make... Maybe that's, I'm going to catch somebody. So what episode they listened to? That was what I was interested in. It was Fred Eaglesmith. Oh, I was like, oh, excellent. thank God. <laughs> thank God. Once and done. Hopefully they don't like the episode. <laughs> Another thing that we might be able to use to uh, narrow down, maybe, to try and figure out who might have kidnapped our good friend is we know they're religious folks. We know they listen to the show. Which religious, religious folks have a history of mutilating genitals? The Jews. The Jewish, right? I'm oh just my. saying. Well, I thought about the Jews. And, uh, they're pros. <laughs> they are fair skill at this. They do just take the tip off. And if that's all they're asking them to do is maybe they go into the hut. This might be all just a misunderstanding, like a threes company misunderstanding, Dave. Just this a is classic. Just a classic misunderstanding. I hope he's, all they did was they went into a, a poor village, rot with with uh, schmick. Foreskin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's no, 
There's no proper cleanliness. They're not pulling back the foreskin and cleaning around there with their dirty water, whatever. They got to boil it in a pot or something. I don't know what their what their uh, protocols are, but I think there's a lot of probably schmegma. There's a lot of uh, you know resulting yeast infections from all the you know. It's there's a lot of uh, uh, problems that can be solved, but from the great work of the of the uh, Jewish doctors who have come in on a, on a on maybe a humanitarian mission to just clean up some foreskin, you know, like maybe that's all it is, you know, and then we're just getting our nuts in a knot about about nothing, right? You it know? could be, it could be, but I always err on the side of caution, and I feel, I feel worried because I wouldn't think it was like I feel. I listened back to the tape of that particular episode, wondering what could I have done to anger these anger anyone in the in the world, you know, and I think it was the hardest on the uh, Buddhists. Because I was saying I was looking for someone with a big, f- fat cock to like uh, to play Buddha. Remember, <laughs> somebody with a lot of girth. So I, I was like, maybe the Buddhists have them, you know, because they seem to be uh, the most. Uh, it was the most offen- offensive to them, and uh, but I was like, they're pretty. They're pretty easy going, you know. Probably the most peaceful. Yeah, religion. So, so that rules them out, and then. Uh, so I don't know who else it could be. It must be. It must be the Jews, and, uh, and that's what I'm thinking. And so, um, what I but but what I think we're doing is I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves trying to figure out the crime. I think all they're really asking here it says if um, uh, all they said they're demanding an apology from the podcast, right? Well, so then, then problem solved, right? All I have to do is apologize to these people, and then the Haitian dwarf can be released, and his genitals can remain intact, and we can all get on with our lives, right? All I have to do is. Is uh, is uh, given to the demands of these terrorists that are taking my friend hostage, and uh, and then everything's good, right? That's all they're asking of me is an apology. That's it for uh, hurting their feelings. I guess it seems like that. That's all I have to do. So the uh, the uh, the reaction you'd probably imagine from me is that I would not give in to the demands of terrorists. Eh? That's the reaction of most, most of us. We don't negotiate with terrorists. We don't negotiate with them. And no, there's no negotiation here. They want an apology. That's all they're asking for. One plain and simple request to apologize for hurting their feelings. So that's the decision. Is my friend's uh, genitals uh, enough currency for me to sacrifice my uh, integrity and apologize to these people who are using these measures, right? Will I do it? And the answer is, of course I will. I'm sorry, buddies. Just no, no hard feelings. It was just a joke. That's the actual. That's the actual message of the whole thing. You know, like if someone just came to me and said, "Hey, I didn't like what you did. Can you get that?" Really hurt my feelings. I'd say, "Oh, geez, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. It was just a joke. It was just meant to entertain." Uh, I apologize. There, I gave in to terrorists, and I hope my friend is free. I definitely do apologize if I hurt your religious feelings. I try to offend everyone equally in the world, and uh, it's always meant just in, in jest. The way I make, I'm, you only make fun of the ones you love, right? So there you go. Uh, not that I love uh, terrorists, of course, but uh, I think I love people and of all uh, of all kinds. So there you go, Haitian dwarf. Hope your dicks okay, so. and we're and this matter is resolved. Okay, it, we can, can we move on with the I show? Think so I hope he's okay. So let's we, hope they don't ask for a helicopter or something now to escape from Haiti. All right. Should I? Tw- Maybe we should tweet something out to the Haitian dwarf to say apology uh, delivered, and then uh, or, or would that be giving away the show? I'll or send say, something out. Just say say something like uh, more like vague, like we say like we've let we've uh, addressed the issue. We hope all matters are are well. You know, um, that it, it, we we expect an immediate release. I'll put that out there. Right we now. expect an immediate release. Okay, and then we can get on with the show.
Um, I think we already in, are in feedback. This whole thing's been feedback. Um, we might as well thank the people who have given us feedback this week. And the last week's episode was live from Leamington. And it was a great episode with uh, two great guests that could have talked to me for days and days. I think we could still be there talking. It was a great time. We hope to have them in again. And most of the feedback's been really positive. Uh, a very entertaining show. And uh, we had a couple people reach out to me that I hadn't talked to in a while that uh, feel like they've reconnected me through the show. And that's been great. Uh, also, um, we've had a lot of feedback in, as far as people, since they wrote this article about me in the newspaper, they, I got my first article published uh, about the show. And it was a nice full-page spread. It was, it was great. The guy from the Norfolk News wrote it and did an excellent job of trying to encapsulate the weirdness that's what we do back here in the Dutch Hall. And uh, they did a really good job of it. But the reaction that people in the community, like uh, when you're, I guess I wish it was in a paper that wasn't in my hometown because now the people that read it that still don't really get what we're doing, um, some of them are, uh, it, I don't know what it is about this show, but it makes people ma uh, mad. Like it makes people really not like me or a lot like what I'm doing because they're confused by it. Which yeah? people? Well, there's various people that just don't get what I'm doing. All kinds, all kinds, you know, like, but uh, various people don't. Just don't understand what I'm doing. A lot of them are motivated differently than me, of course. Like, uh, I would say um, the douchebag uh, uh, type of pop population kind of comes up a lot. You know, ones that are, like, really into material goods and stuff like that can never understand quitting a job that pays you money to go to something that doesn't pay you money or pays you less money or whatever. If they're motivated only by money, then that's all you're going to do, right? And uh, so those people are a little bit... Uh, they don't get it. They're mind fucked by this whole thing. They're like, "Well, what the hell is he thinking? Like, what's he doing? What's he doing?" Right? Yeah. And uh, a lot of people don't know how to react to that. They get like all uh, funny about it. So I have been getting a little bit of that kind of feedback about people who are kind of like feel sorry for me or they're they they think that I've had yeah. a, some sort of a meltdown. They're trying to understand your perspective, and it's impossible for them because <laughs> of the box they're in. They get really angry by it, you know? I've had people that have actually said to me, um, this was one thing that they said to me, uh, I read the article, you didn't like your job. Ooh, no one likes their job. You're <laughs> not supposed to like your job. Uh, just get over it and, like, do what you have to do to make a living, right? And I'm like, you don't have, it's, it's not about being happy. And I'm like, why? Why is it not about being happy? And they're like, because I wasn't happy, That's you right. know? And I did it for my whole career and retired. And I'm like, well, I'm, I don't want to do that. Like, that sounds terrible. I don't want to do it, you know? And then they're like, well, you have to do it. I'm like, why do I have to do it? I don't understand why I have to do it, you know? And uh, that, that, that conversation never gets resolved, you know, never at all no. gets resolved. And that brings me to my a little story about this week, if you want to talk about a story from this week, Dave. Oh, I'd love to. I've had a big week. Uh, been very busy. As, as uh, many people, my listening audience uh, may not know, I, uh, since I make no money at this, I actually do work outside of this show live from Dutch Hall. And, um, so I've been uh, working, uh, doing a big project, um, for my wife's business. And, uh, so putting in quite a few hours, right. And it's been a pretty stressful project where we have a deadline to hit and stuff. And it's uh, quite a lofty goal that we're trying to undertake. And, uh, so I'm in the middle of, uh, I had to do a lunch meeting to debrief the doctors and where we are and in the progress that we're making on this project. And uh, so I went into this restaurant in Simcoe. I won't name it, but I uh, went in for lunch hour, and there's like uh, all the booths are full, you know? Um, so they have booths along the one window when you go in, and they're all full. I was hoping to get one of those booths 
because I had a I had I'd use my computer to show people what the work we we're doing and where you know what what kind of stuff we're working on. Yeah, Boots a nice setting for that. It's a little private. You're talking about matters of money and you know you don't want to you know be doing it out in the middle of public. You know, so you, I wanted a booth. Anyways, the booths are full. One of the booths has a one old lady sitting in it. It's a huge booth too. You can fit six easy in the booth, right? Anyhow, uh, one lady sitting in it. Anyways, I see, t- but there's also two other booths in this restaurant. They're like Puff Daddy booths. They're like, you know, leather, rounded, oh, yeah, wrap horseshoe around. wraparound, and then like yeah. a, few t- a few chairs on the other side of the table. There's two of those. And so I see the booths are full, and I say, can I get one of those Puff Daddy booths? That's actually what I call it. And uh, the lady says, the, the, the waitress says, uh, sorry, those are for groups of seven. You know, how many people are in your group? I said, four. And they go, well, that's for groups of seven. I said, well, there's no groups of seven showing up. How about you just give me one of those two open groups of seven booths, right? Yeah. And uh, she says, well, uh, I can't. It's against the rules, right? It's against the rules. And so I said, um, uh, okay. I'll, she goes, I'll get in trouble for it. I said, okay, well, then this isn't this restaurant's not going to serve my purposes for this meeting. We'll have to go eat somewhere else. That was my stand I was taking, right? Sure. And uh, so I leave the restaurant, and I realize I don't have time to find another restaurant. Everyone's on their way here. We have a really pressing. We only have an hour yeah. to get all this done. We gotta go back. Everyone's gotta go back to see patients and stuff, right? So you only have a limited amount of time. I can't, can't choose another venue at this point in time. So I go back in with my tail between my legs. You can take another crack at it. And I say, "May I talk to the person that's gonna give you trouble for letting me sit in one of those empty booths, right?" So she goes and talks to her manager. And now this is the one thing I did do. She goes, well, I'll have to talk to my manager. And I said, well, can I talk to him? I said to him, right? It was a woman. And I made oh, a mistake no, saying this no. to him. So that already was like, uh, I already pissed Strike yeah, one. Strike one. <laughs> and then uh, so th- the girl goes and says, tell him the story of the prick at the front that wants this booth, right? So the manager comes out, a ball fire. She's on fire when she comes to me. She's like... Uh, my staff was doing nothing wrong. She was just doing her job. You know, there's no reason to get angry. I said, I wasn't, I wasn't faulting her at all. I knew that she was just doing her job. That's why I asked to talk to the person that would be giving her trouble for doing her job, right? Because I think this it deserves an exception because there's no one here. She goes, there's no one here yet. I said, you really think you're going you're gonna to have two groups of seven come in? There's no one in the restaurant. There's only, the only things you have full are these booths. And then on the one, there's another row of tables where there's f- these four guys who I know from town that are sitting in there. Like one, there I I, and I know them all from town. I'm, yeah. I'm friendly with these guys. I would consider, you know, them to be friends. Or well, one guy I didn't know, but the other three, like I've uh, I've seen them in social settings many times. You know, like I consider to be friendly with them, but not real good friends or anything. You know. So, anyways, uh, I'm still. This girl's starting to tell me that the manager's now telling me. Uh, you know, if you tried this trick on Friday, it wouldn't work because on Friday we're real busy and after hockey and blah, 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 all this stuff, you know, and I don't, yeah. I don't give a shit. I'm like, I don't care. It's not a it's, trick. It's not a trick. I need it now. It's available to me now. I'm going to buy four lunches and I just want this table for an hour, you know, like just give me the goddamn table, you know? Yeah. So she gives it to me, right? Uh, the waitress won't serve me now. So it's the the manager serves serving us, right? And yeah. she's trying her best to be nice to us, but she hates it. And I'd say there's a hundred percent chance I'm getting gobbled my food. Anyways, so when I'm going to the table, when I'm going to my booth now, she's leading me to the booth. The four guys on the side start um, talking, yelling at me. Oh, Pete, because I'm wearing business attire, I'm carrying a briefcase with a computer in it or whatever, you know. Yeah. And um, I'm walking in business like. I'm I'm on. I'm pretty intense talking about getting a table because I'm short time. <laughs> A million things to do and whatever. 
And uh, so these guys say, hey, Pete, you finally decided to work for once? Uh, you're, you had to go back to work now or whatever? Like they were, uh, yeah. starting, they were busting my balls a bit, right? Yeah. So I think of a clever response, but at my initial reaction to that, because uh, I've been working like seven days a week, uh, every hour of every day that I can, I'm not sleeping. I'm working on this project, right? So I feel like I've, or I've worked hard, and yet I'm getting um, pu- like the public persona that I've created for myself is that I don't work anymore, right? And so uh, these people decided to make the joke about me being, sure. you know. And I took it like uh, not so well. I took it not so well. I took it like uh, uh, so. My response to them was: I tried to think of a witty retort or something to say back, funny to them. But instead, what I said was, uh, "Why don't you go fuck yourself?" <laughs> right? And then I stopped myself. I didn't remember this till after because the guy told me. But uh, I stopped myself and I was like, I, "Was that the right thing to say?" You know, like I kind of had to stop for a second. So I go. Why don't you go fuck yourselves? And I go, oh, wait. Yeah, go fuck yourselves. That's what I did. <laughs> I said it twice to him. <laughs> and then I went and sit at my table, and I started getting my computer set up and dealing with, you know, getting the meeting gone. And then these guys ate their... Anyways, there's, there's four guys. One of the four guys is like a real guy. He's a friend of um, he's a friend of Jason Ryder, who's been on the show a, couple, a, couple, a few yeah. times. Uh, hunts with them, and a real guy, a real man, you know? Yeah. That guy, probably the one guy at the table could easily kick my ass, right? He was the one that had the biggest grin on his face when I told him to fuck himself. Yeah. The other three guys, uh, more kind of a, um, I don't know, white collar or so, would you say? Like probably white collar kind of people? Yeah, light blue. <laughs> yeah, very light blue. Very uh, white collar people. They were uh, more horrified, uh, you know? The, the other guy's a white collar job too, but he's a blue collar guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a real guy, you know? Like. I was a worked a white collar job, but I was not a white collar guy. You know, I yeah. I still was a regular dude or whatever. This guy was the same way. I just thought it was funny that he was the one that was the one that got a kick out of it. The rest of them yeah. were offended, right? So when uh, they're leaving, they ate their supper, and I conducted my meeting. And when the meeting was over, I see those guys leaving, and I just yell out at them. I'm like, "Hey guys, sorry about telling you to go fuck yourself earlier, right?" <laughs> <laughs> and the one guy goes, "You said it twice. You said it twice." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I did. I said, and uh, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, shit. I go. <laughs> so, I've, but I've thought about it afterwards. Like, what is wrong with me? Like, am I like, what's the matter with me? I'm telling people to go fuck themselves, and you know, I'm just being a real. You know, I think something's broken in me. But for the moment, I sat there and I said, you know, if the one thing in this change in my life, that the one thing is that I don't. That uh, if I feel like I've, a true success in life is I've got to the point where I really don't give a shit what anyone thinks, right? That's where I think that's how I would measure my success sure. at this point in time. Take it or leave it. This is yeah. Me. This is who I am. Deal with it. Like fuck you if I don't. If you say. And then I said, if a guy doesn't give a shit and someone says something he doesn't like, what's the appropriate response? The appropriate response has to be, go fuck yourself. Seriously, <laughs> I can't think of anything. So you else. checked it a third time. <laughs> And you, and you and still, still said that was yeah. the appropriate response. I did the right thing, you know, because if I would have just been like, haha, I'm the butt of your jokes, you know, like continue to make fun of me for being a loser who doesn't have a job and blah, blah, blah. You know, what happens when I see him next time? Oh, that joke worked last time. Pete likes the when I rib him about the, his, him being a loser. I'm going to do it again. Well, now you think they're going to do it again? 
those guys did they want to put up with me telling them to go fuck myself and then or, or are they going to get come back with you know it, that's just too much trouble for a grown man that's reasonable that has like trying to conduct business <laughs> in a community and be a responsible citizen that person doesn't want to get involved with some crazy go fuck yourself guy like you know so I think I've, it was mission accomplished. That's four. That's four times I thought about it. Every time I think yeah. I've done the right thing. So I get used to probably a lot more stories like that from from the sh- on these shows about what kind of like public uh, uh, spectacle I've made of myself by, by making a scene. Hopefully I don't do it at, and to embarrass my wife. That's the only thing I keep saying. I can't ruin her good <laughs> reputation. <laughs> well, we got some. Uh, some stories in the news this week. We always like to talk. Oh, I love the news. Talk about things in the news, and one of the things that I just uh, need to wet my whistle. You want? We want to. You want to pause it for a bit here? Let's just pause. All right. One of the stories that I've. Uh, well, I, w- I always do research for the show because I'm because uh, I care deeply about it. And uh, one of the stories that I ran into this week is um, is how the the let me just see that it's how the future of work may make many of us happier. They're saying, and they. Well, say, I like the sounds of that. Yes, and it said they're saying that the current uh, way that things work and um, in the corporate structure, and predominantly the corporate structure, is that um, it used to be that you'd have to develop a big infrastructure to be able to um, source the business, to uh, get the message out, to manufacture your product, and then find, and then you have to invest a lot of infrastructure just to have people find your market and distribute your product and do all the things to to get your your product or service out there to the public. He said now in today's day and age with the internet, everybody can find a market for themselves like for for pretty much free and can market their product and can uh, the internet there's a number of different websites and different services that are available on the internet which connect uh, buyers to sellers and so most people can then go to what's called uh, can become an independent contractor rather than be an employee of a company. And they say the future of work is that everybody or most everybody will be an independent contractor and they will work doing what they work, what they want, when they want, and they'll be paid for what they do. And uh, they won't be paid just to sit nine to five in a cubicle, uh, checking their Facebook and uh, uh, buying shit on Amazon by visiting the Life and Dutch All website and then clicking on the banner first, of course. But, the, the, you know, stuff like that where you spend, and I could tell you. That makes a lot of sense to me. Right. So they're saying if you, uh, an example they used was a law firm. There was a law firm uh, that probably needed to hire, say, 10 lawyers, right? But they hired 100. And then they uh, they all share work. Like they just take the cases when they want to take the cases, work on them when they want to. They And they get paid for what they do. Not And they're not expected to be there 24-7. That makes sense because the there's a the person sitting in the cubicle 9 to 5 checking their Facebook. And in the next cubicle... There's a guy that's there nine to five or maybe eight to six, and from eight to six he's working and he's eating his lunch at his desk while he's working, and he's probably getting the same uh, compensation as a person checking their Facebook in the next cubicle. Right, right. But but I would go a step further to that and saying that some people out there can accomplish what that same person that's working sixty hours in the cubicle working his ass off. Some people can accomplish that in ten hours. What that stu- that guy's doing in sixty. And they're spending the rest of their time just with their thumb up their ass because they're supposed to be there. And they really think this job is really easy and well beneath them. And they can uh, do it eat in their sleep, right? And if they're paid for what they do and not for just sitting there or whatever or reporting or doing extra bullshit or whatever, 
then they will um, they could still make the company the same amount of money, but not cost them nearly as much by having a supply me with an office and a and a you know bricks and mortar and a full inf- just give me a freaking uh, computer and I got and a phone and I can do my job. But most jobs are like that anymore, yeah. you know. Like they don't need and they can do it from anywhere they are. You know, you don't have to. I was just thinking about that. We were calling. I'm calling people more and more, trying to get when I'm when I'm working. I'm just trying to get things done. You know, you call people, you need information, and they have to get back to you, and they make commitments. And when someone, I called someone this week, and the answer to me was, um, "I'm away from my desk right now, and I can't get you uh, the email that I need to send you. So uh, tomorrow morning, when I get to my desk, I'll be able to send you that email you want, right?" And I'm thinking to. That's just a way of saying I don't want to send you the email right now because you have a phone in your yeah, pocket. That's crazy. And you can send me the information. Like there's that excuse worked like 15 years ago. Yeah. It doesn't work anymore. We all have phones in our pocket. That's right. <laughs> Calling it a phone is even a ridiculous concept. It's not a phone. It's a Yeah, you have a computer in your pocket. Right. So if you want to send it, I and I know that the, the demands are unreasonable now. Everybody wants everything instantaneously. So the the true response should have been I got like a zillion things to do right now. Your thing is like number yeah, 850 on the list. Like, I'm going to get to it, but you got to yeah. give me a bit of time because I got a whole lot, a bunch of other people yelling at me right now. You know, it's give me, give me till tomorrow or something, right? And then do it. When you say you're going to do it, then do it, right? Yeah. Anyhow, I was, the, the, this, this, uh, um, whole article that I read, read about the future of people working remotely and, and being independent contractors, it made me think of my days at, uh, at Farm Credit Canada, and uh, that made me think of my, we have a the man here. We played about a hundred theme songs. We have a brand new theme song to uh, to uh, put out there. This is a, this is a rough draft of the new theme song, right, Dave? Uh, you know, yeah, very rough. I recorded it on my phone. Are, are you about to tell a story about the bank? Yeah, I'm about to tell, tell a story about the bank. Well, let's try this out. It's time for another bank story with. Ah, it's so nice. I want to even give a round of applause for that theme song, Dave. That's going to be a keeper. That sounded good. I don't know. It's a new jingle. Well, it's time for another Banker Story with Pete. And I'm going to tell a story about this. Is this When I worked for uh, the bank, uh, Farm Credit Canada, to be specific, um, and I don't, know if, I don't know if it's proper to say this, but it's dead true, so I'm going to say it. Uh, there, I worked probably 60% of the time, like efficiently, maybe. The rest of the, maybe not even, maybe 40% of the time where you really work efficiently. And the rest of the time you're sitting around either doing corporate bullshit, uh, taking uh, unnecessary training, doing, doing like big corporate initiatives to support whatever fluff and stuff there is, and not really doing the actual job of, which was to lend money. That's what my job was, to lend money. And if I had the, the, for the goals they gave me, the money I had to lend, if they didn't put all the other bullshit on me, I would have been able to do it in probably 20 hours a week. And if, you would, if they would say to me, Pete, from your house or whatever, however you want to do it, you lend $20 million a year and uh, we'll pay you based on the amount you lend or whatever, and you just guarantee you're going to give us 20, I could make that a half-time job, take care of my kids, you know, take care of my folks as they age or whatever. Maybe start a podcast. Yeah, keep my podcast going where I get to, and I'd have so much more material because I'd be so 
angry at all the nonsense. <laughs> you know, it would be great. And I, and I think that uh, actually I heard from some that uh, it's quite a – well, I know it is for banking, especially at uh, FCC because a lot of the employees were had farms on the side and stuff like that. That eventually they get to the point where they're like they're trying to balance two things. It was the same with me. I was trying to balance my wife's business to, with my job, and you're you're juggling all these balls at the same time. And eventually you get like, well, something's got to give, and why don't it, why isn't it going to be the one that I hate? You know, I'll do the stuff I like better. I'll farm or yep. I'll do, you know work on my own business because it's just too much. You're not going to give up that. But if they would be more accommodating, if the, they would join the new way of doing a business at FCC. And I'm going to reach out to the CEO at FCC and say this right now. If you were to look at this model and allow independent contractors to come in and lend money, the people that already have a good relationship with the farmers, but they don't want to put up with all your nonsense, corporate no- bullshit, no culture training, no crap like that. Culture training. I called uh, to uh, get some information from FCC this week, and they were away at culture training. And it, all, it came back like a flashback to me, you know, like all the culture training that we had to do. We, I don't know. Do you have to do it at your place of work? Do you have culture training? Uh, not really culture training, but but influencing the culture of the workforce is something that we work at, you know, regularly. It's, into, it's probably one of the hardest things because you want people to. What kind of culture are you trying to build? Is it in how you deal with other people, like how they resolve conflict or how they? Um, Mostly, it's about just engagement. And, and trying to get the employees to buy into the goals and the vision of the company and make what's important to the company important to the employees. Do you Not have, just the paycheck because do you, that's what's important to most people, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you have like uh, levels of alignment? Have you ever talked about levels of alignment in, no. in various corporate decisions? Well, this is a big thing that we, we had to endure at the bank was um, levels of alignment. There were certain things called uh, level one decisions, which were decisions that were made whether you liked it or not kind of thing. And those were called level one decisions. Like there's no room for debate. You can't argue with it. It's just going to happen. Like, yep. So then you have to measure your alignment levels. So like level, I don't even remember because I didn't pay attention to that stuff because I thought it was all crap. But I, I, there was like level one was like, you know, your, your processing or whatever. And then level two was like, you know, your you're resisting or whatever and then the level three was uh you know you know partial alignment or whatever and then you get to like uh um uh something like uh compliance you know where you've comply you complied and then you have the level five which is full alignment where you're just you're really on board with what they and everyone they were striving to get us to full alignment right and so when you didn't like something if you didn't instead of saying uh i think this is a bunch of bullshit right they would say, that's wrong, Pete. Don't say that. That's wrong, right? But what you should say is, I think I'm, uh, I haven't achieved level five alignment yet. That's what they're okay with. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't think I'm completely aligned on this issue. I think I'm still at level three, and they're okay with that because that's okay language. They've yeah. built that language. You know what, what it mean? equals is I think this, bu- this is bullshit. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I, got, I, I really started to enjoy corporate language because it was, um, it, was really, it was really fun to play with, you know? Like I used to be able to go into meetings and then you'd say something really um, uh, horrible, like something offside, and then you could say, uh, you know, uh, in the spirit of uh, holding to account or whatever, uh, I'd like to, or in the uh, in in respect to our cultural practices, I would like to uh, clean up and recover quickly from my previous actions. I would like to apologize to anyone who have affected by my comments, and uh, please understand and grant me grace as a coworker. 
that I'm just trying to do what's best for the company, even though my delivery uh, may, may have been uh, too uh, offensive for some people. And then uh, the management would uh, congratulate me on uh, going through the corporate uh, practices, the cultural practices. But then I could still have said the horrible thing at the beginning, which is what I wanted to say. Yeah. And then, uh, it, it, and then, but I, and I would get instead of getting in trouble, I would get uh, uh, congratulated for being an example to the rest of the team yeah. at the end of it. Yeah. And then you can kind of give a wink to your coworkers who knows that the whole thing was just bullshit that you mm. were doing. <laughs> it really helped fill a day, Dave. It really helped fill a day. day. Yeah. <laughs> There's a ton of those things you could do once you realize the line you cross and how you can use corporate language to get you out of trouble. It was so fun to do. That's like the extra 20 hours, right? Like you do your job and then the other 20 hours you got to fill. Yeah, fill it with fucking around with their shit, right? <laughs> and if you're doing enough stuff like where you're actually achieving results, like if you're making money and stuff like that, they would put up with a lot of that stuff because they were like, well, he's still making us money. He's making my, I get my goals. If I get my bonus if this guy works because he's helping me get my bonus, right? Yeah. So, and even though some other dude's going to come in and do just as good as I did or better, you know, like, there's, uh, there's still that perception amongst managers that uh, it's a lot easier, you know, banking on what you are have in front of you rather than taking a risk that the somebody else can do it because there's a chance they can't. You know, they might be a dud or whatever. You know. Yeah. So, anyhow, um, that's my banker story. You want to play it out? Play it out again. Yeah, that was such a out. good song. You know what that was? That was time for another banker story. That was it. It's time for another banker story with Pete. <laughs> Do you want to talk about how that's an analogy of my career? I sure. I, I'd be glad to. I wrote that song and uh, just kind of recorded it quickly. And uh, I listened to it afterwards and I realized how that little eight or ten second clip, in my mind, sort of uh, captured your whole career in the banking world. And at the start... I'll just play like a few seconds here. The yeah. start, you can hear like the banking machine working. You get in there and you're like part of the machine. You're working diligently and it's like uh, methodical and you're you're doing it. And then suddenly you start to realize when the piano comes in here that you know it's kind of uh, it's a bit of a farce and you know it's it's like a bit of a show going on. It's time for another bank story. But the machine's still working, and then. Yeah. Uh, and then your career sort of builds up at the end when you're not giving a shit and it kind of climaxes and then uh, you just say, fuck it, I'm out of here. Well, that's it, yeah. That is, that's pretty much does encapsulate it. I like how the, I can picture myself like at the beginning, you know, grinding away at the at the desk and then by the time the piano kicks in, you're just, I'm still grinding away, but I got a bit more of like a, like a, like a beat to it. It's yeah. got more melodic, it's more melodic or whatever. You're juking. Yeah, I get it, I get it. And at the end, I stand up and just say... I'm out of here. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. That's good. Good theme song, Dave. Yeah, I really thanks, like buddy. it. I really like it. All right. So uh, uh, let's get to another story. I got another story. Um, this one is a very interesting story, I think. it's uh, Everyone wants to live forever, right? Wants to live a long life, a long, happy life. Well, there's a woman in Scotland, um, 109-year-old woman, who says the secret to longevity is eating porridge and pussy. <laughs> Oh, really? Yes. Yes. It's a great story. And I did paraphrase a little Porridge. bit. Uh, what? Porridge and pussy. Porridge and pussy, she said. And uh, 109 years old, so she's got to have something to it. But what she said was uh, that uh, she did eat a bowl of porridge every morning, and uh, she felt that the porridge was uh, a year ago. They asked her when she was 108, what was her secret to longevity? And they said she said porridge, right? 
This year, when she's 109, they asked her what her secret to longevity was, and she said porridge and uh, staying away from men because men um, are nothing but trouble, and they just cause nothing but problems in your life. And then the article went on to say that uh, there's a, the oldest woman in the world is, I think she's even older, so maybe 112 or 100. She's from Osaka, Japan. And um, she, uh, her husband died in 1931, and she's been uh, widowed since 1931. 31? Yeah. Holy shit. He died in 31, and she's lived like, I don't know how many years that is since 31, like 90 years with, uh, without him. And uh, so maybe there's some something to it, eh? Like maybe if the women just get rid of us, then we'd live forever. I wonder if the same would be true if uh, if men lived separate from women. I would think uh, probably not, eh? We'd probably die in our yeah. 20s. I think women are an integral part of our longevity. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing when you really look at it. And they do paint us in the media, men, I'm talking about men. Um, to be a bunch of bumblefucks, eh? Like, they really do. Like, I, I, I notice it all the time. There's sitcoms, commercials, all these things. Uh, the men's always, uh, the men are always idiots, right? I saw a commercial uh, just last week. It was, uh, uh, the, the woman was uh, getting into the car with a couple of coffees, and she shut the door, and uh, this guy, the guy in the passenger side wakes up, and he says, were we driving all night? And the woman says, I was driving all night. You were sleeping, and she hands him a coffee, and then uh, she's all bright-eyed and fucking bushy-tailed, and she's she went out and got the coffee, woke his sorry sack ass up, and then she gets off and drives away. That sounds so nice. So after her driving all night, him sleeping, she gets him a coffee and then drives away. This guy can't get his shit together enough to even to drive a piece of that fucking road trip after she's been up all night, right? Is she on Tinder? Oh, she's a great girl, great gal, eh? I'd be swiping right. You think you like that, eh? Well, if she had that right in the comments. She doesn't look like she needs much sleep. That's what I thought. But she, but I just thought it was offensive because that guy had to be. It couldn't have been the other way around, you know. Which I I would say from my experiences, it tends to be more the woman who's sleeping the whole trip away, and the guy's the one sitting there. I'm gonna do this whole. I'm gonna do this whole drive. I'm gonna do this whole fucking drive, right? You know. Yeah. And if I remember my story, I don't know if I've ever told these on the air before, but my my long stories to Florida. I remember my father would uh, load up a cooler of beer. Right to get him from uh, our house to, to Detroit, <laughs> right? When he didn't want to cross the border with any beer, so like yeah, you got to make sure the cooler's empty. Cooler's empty, and yeah. we emptied out like a McDonald's parking lot. We emptied the cans out or whatever. Then we go to um, uh, Detroit. We cross the border. We get it to a gas station almost immediately, so we can load up with beer because it's a Amer- cheap American beer. Yeah, and then we drive uh, south to Florida, and then uh, I'm usually around. Um, Kentucky uh, or maybe Tennessee, my dad would get sleepy, right? <laughs> and then he'd yeah. want to go lie down in the back of the van or whatever and take a little nap. And my mom would take over from driving. And then uh, we'd be going through the hills of Kentucky or Tennessee, like where it's really rolly and hills. And it's it's the most treacherous part of the drive, yeah. right? And uh, he'd be kind of getting kicked around from all the curves and stuff in the back. And then he'd get up and say... You know, I'm driving again. You know, like you yeah. can't stand her driving. What are you doing? Yeah, because she thinks she's doing something wrong, but it's not really her. It's just the roads or whatever. And the fact that he's like likes to be in control of the vehicle because he's a real man. You know. Yeah. And then, uh, and then we would get to, eventually get to Florida, but usually that would be like a, a, you know, my mom would only drive for a couple hours of the 24. Like it wasn't very much, you know. And that's uh, my experience in life. That's yeah, what that's I, right. 
feel, and I, I talk to friends who have done the drive. I've never done it. You've driven. We drove to uh, Hilton Head Island one time, but we did it over kind of two days. By the first day, we drove like probably 10 hours straight. You know, I was driving three kids in the van. Yeah, when you said we were driving, it was you. It was me driving, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I drove the whole way. Why didn't you let your wife drive? I don't think she was interested. <laughs> I would say I would say most. She's reading her book, or like I think at that time she was navigating. But well, thank was... God for GPS. I'll tell you that because my wife navigating was uh, a real problem for our relationship at times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we. I remember were... one time the map book went right out the window. I said we missed a turn. And I'm like, why don't you tell me to turn? <laughs> Which you know? is don't like... tell me uh, ten meters after the turn that I was supposed to turn there. You tell me a hundred meters before the turn. Oh yeah, yeah. And the window went down. The map book went right out the window. <laughs> <laughs> map book. When you said map book? Yeah, you remember the map books? <laughs> you were using like a road map, like a road map of Ontario or something. Yeah, the, like uh, that. the Ontario road books you used to get. And you she know? would like look through and find concession roads. Yeah, yeah. I remember you said we'd do that. We'd drive co- cross country um, to watch, like, or uh, like we would like to go through Mennonite country or whatever. It was a nice drive. So when we were going like up north or whatever, instead of going like all the busy roads, you know, you try to find a way yeah. like, as a crow flies. And the only way you can navigate that is with a map. With a map. Right? It used to be. Yeah, yeah, with a map. And yeah, we would, uh, same thing. Like, we would, uh, it would be terrible when my wife did it. And then we realized we'd switch. Even when, even the days of MapQuest before GPS, you know, like we'd MapQuest it out yeah, and I'd print have a MapQuest nice printout. But when and I sit in the navigator's seat and my wife would drive and it would be way less arguments, right? It would be far less arguments. We said, "Oh, I think we figured out the formula." And then GPS came in, and it was like then I could drive again because. Uh, oh yeah, what a savior! Because the, the GPS girl was like, yeah, Miss Bossy Pants, what we called her, but she was uh, she was our savior of our marriage, right? She really yeah. did save our marriage because we were going down a bad path, you know. And you're trying to go on a nice long trip with your family, going on a family vacation or something like that. And uh, you, you know you're you gotta go on a two hour drive to the airport, and uh, in those two hours you've made uh, your all your family cry. And, yeah, that's uh, right. You know, you've uh, everyone's yelling at each other. You know, we're snapping at the kids who are just excited about going on a trip. We're yelling at them because they're we're, we're kind of stressed because oh, yeah. we're leaving. Emotions are high. Yeah. Anyways, and then someone misses a turn, and you don't handle it properly, right? And now they just recalculate. Yeah, recalculate. We'll be fine. You know, she knows what she's doing, right? And that's why I love it. GPS saves, saves, probably save a lot of marriages, I would imagine, out there. Anyways, did we finish that one? Was that one? Mm. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, she just said basically Porridge said, and pussy. Porridge and pussy. Uh, the other thing I've... Uh, I, I, we'll do a little sports segment on this episode of uh, uh, Life in the Dutch Hall. What I want to do... Uh, we're going to flirt with some technology, which we uh, like oftentimes uh, screw up on. But uh, we had our, another one of our great Canadian heroes, the tennis star uh, Jeannie Bouchard, uh, was recently in um, Australia for, the, I think, the Australia Open. And uh, it was quite controversial in this interview uh, where the Australian, this Australian uh, douche uh, decides to ask her a question to do a twirl. They want her to do a twirl. If, if people don't know Jeannie, Eugenie Bouchard, she's a very attractive young uh, tennis pro. I think she's the, best, the most attractive Tennis player in the history of tennis. I'm gonna go right out and say it. I'm like, no, she, she is a good-looking girl. I better than Anna Kornikova. Like, I don't ever. The marriage Maria Sharapova. That, that one. She's too too lanky. Like, she's got hunchback and she's like. I'd say after Venus Williams, she's number two. You like Venus over Serena? Big fan. Ser- Venus? Oh yeah. No, Serena. Serena's the one that's that's like. She's like stacked, eh? Serena's a lot of women. She's gonna be. She's gonna be a great time. I, I would go for Serena over Venus any day. Venus, Venus is also very hunched over. She's not my. She's not my cup of tea. I like Serena. 
So we could do a double date. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's yeah. do it. Yeah, we'll ask. Yeah, we we'll ask them. We'll, we should tweet them because they're probably on Twitter, eh? Ask them on a date. I imagine. Yep. Or a double date. Anyways, Jeannie Bouchard. I'm going to play the clip. I hope you can hear it at home. And this is a clip of Jeannie Bouchard being uh, being uh, inappropriately uh, questioned by uh, the Australian media. Now, yesterday, last night, you uh, tweeted that you love Serena's outfit. Obviously, the fluoro is working for you girls at the moment. She was kind enough to give us a twirl. Can you give us a twirl and tell us about your outfit? A twirl? Like... A twirl, a pirouette. Here we go. She does it. She does it. And she covers her face because she's embarrassed. I mean, I have to say, I honestly think Serena's outfit is the best, even better than mine. I'm going to give her that. No, uh, no one cares, really. Like, that's, now, yesterday, that's a, oh, last sorry. night, you uh, tweeted. That's a, that's a waste. So anyways, this was a big outrage. Everybody was very upset about that clip because uh, they're saying, like, how could you... Uh, Objectify the girl. She's a she's a high level athlete. She's like one. Of, she's a great yeah. one of the one of the best elite ha- elite athlete in the world. Right. She's worked her whole life on building a skill to become one of the best tennis players in the whole world. And you are taking her after a match. It looks like after a a, a match where she's probably done well because he seems pretty happy. Um, you're now going to uh, objectify her to the point where she just twirls so we can see up your dress when you spin around. We can get a little. A little look at that sweet little keister of yours, right? That's what he's saying to her, and the people are saying, "Well, this isn't, this is, uh, you know, an outrage." And I agree with them, but but I'll take it a step further, in that these people, this isn't the first time they fucked around with our great hero Eugenie Bouchard. They've also done it once before, a year ago, I believe. It was uh, they, she was in Australia again, and they asked, they did this. They asked her this question. Uh, I'm gonna play play this one from the beginning. This was a woman they sent now, out to um, do the I've bedding. got a fan question for you. Um, you've, you're getting a lot of fans here. A lot of them are male. This poor woman that's interviewing her is, uh, she is, can, you can tell by everything about her, her body language, the way she's covering up for it, that she freaking hates the fact that she has to ask this question because she herself knows that this is a bullshit. The whole thing, what she's doing is bullshit. Anyways, here we go. You want to know if you could date anyone in the world of sport, of movies. I'm sorry, they asked me to say this. Who would you date? Um, <laughs> what a ridiculous it's so Justin stupid. Bieber? Okay, Justin. Ah. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Justin, There's an all, all the people booing, right? Awesome. <laughs> That's a great answer. Um, hey. <laughs> okay, you just made someone very happy. No. Now, um, oh, I've shoot, got a I keep doing question it. for uh, Sorry, I do it twice. I almost got through that technology without too much that's problems, right? But that's twice those Australians have fucked with their Canadian hero. That's twice that they've tried to belittle her to be just a pretty face. And I'll tell you something, Australians, you better lay off. If next year you pull the same bullshit, I mean, there's going to be more of a... It has to be a response from our country where we say, like, don't fuck around with all this stuff. It, it, we should stick up for our Eugenie Bouchard, is what I'm saying. We shouldn't allow these Australians to run... Ram shot on our on our heroes, right? What if they asked Wayne Gretzky to show his dick, right? <laughs> you think they're gonna ask Wayne Gretzky to show his dick, and we're all gonna just say like, "Oh, no big deal." Like, hey, Crosby, you know, let's oh, yeah. have a look at the old ball sack, you know, let's see what you got. They're not gonna ask him that because one, it's horrible to look at a man. Everyone knows it's horrible to look at a man. But I'm saying like this woman here's in the same category. She's an elite athlete. We don't want to look at Melios Ronics uh, doing him do a twirl and see that bony. Freaking giant ass of his. We don't ask him to do that stuff, so we shouldn't do it for our, our lady. And Australians, I know you listen to the show. I know I have a great listener out of Tasmania. I don't want to make it look like the whole country's like this. 
But your media stu- is fucked, eh? They're, they're fucked. They shouldn't be doing this to our people. A little bit. Yeah, I'm going to tell you that. And uh, by the way, the, my listener in Tasmania, give me a, reach out to me at Life in the Dutch Hall at, at gmail.com or like reach out on Facebook, uh, you know, go on Life in the Dutch Hall at Facebook or something. Just let me know who you are in Tasmania that listens because you download every episode and I really appreciate it as a listener. So I hope you can reach out. We never got in touch with uh, Utah either. Hey, just before we get off the Bouchard there, do you have, do you have any uh, audio clips of her grunting on the forehand? Actually, you I'm know... I'm a big fan of those grunts. I like the grunts as well, but I don't know about Jeannie Bouchard, if she's a grunter. I think we could probably find out. You want to do a, you want to do a YouTube search? We'll do a search. Uh, maybe I'll tweet something <laughs> out if we find something. <laughs> what do you like? It is very primal. You never hear the men grunting either. Like, they don't, like, they don't make the same sound. It's not as primal as that, eh? I, I couldn't, you couldn't pay me to watch a man's tennis match. You couldn't do it at all. I watch only the female tennis, and it's because I think they're they're all so sexy, uh, and that's uh, objectifying women. I know it's a bit of a hypocritical you response. Should move to Australia. Yeah, I could ask questions about that. <laughs> Maybe I have to turn around, eh? Maybe Australia is the way to go. <laughs> I think Australia, because they're a smaller country, they just um, well, like I'm, I'm not compared to Canada. Canada is a small country too, but I think. Uh, I think by population, maybe yeah. because they're remote too. I think they just they just handle their their shit a little differently than the rest than than we do. And I think uh, I think the more distant you get from the U.S., the more people just handle things that you know you don't. They don't really put it, make a big deal about it like the U.S. does. So, you know, it's not such a like I think in the Scandinavian countries, you know, they just kind of do things. They just kind of run it like like you're running a. a a student council or something like that. It's not that big a deal, right? Yeah. Like in Iceland, they kicked out all their banks. They they totally changed the way people did. They 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 wrote a constitution online. They have three hundred twenty thousand people in the country of Iceland, and they um, let their banks go bankrupt. They went bankrupt as a country, and they wrote a new constitution uh, online, like uh, using social media, with everyone in the country's input, and then they're going forward with this new model. And uh, there are people that are um, that are criticizing them for this move are saying they're going to become the uh, Cuba of the North, is what they said. The Cuba of really? the North, yeah, because they're, what they're doing is they're not paying back bank debt; they're letting their bank debt go. And they said if they don't restructure and get you know get a plan in place to pay the bank debt, that they're going to start having some embargoes and stuff like that, so they don't they won't be traded with. So they'll become the Cuba right. of the North. That's what they said, and. Um, they said if we don't do it, we're going to become the Haiti of the North, and uh, so that's why they went ahead and did it anyways. And uh, by all accounts, it's working out great, and it's serving as a model for the rest of the world to actually change the way we do things and change just you know change like re reboot where it's not the current structure anymore, yep. where we're going to something that's completely different. And I'm, I'm and I know it's such a small scale; it's easy to do in a country like. Um, it's a lot easier to do in a country like Iceland with 320,000 sure. people than it would a be small city, right? 320 million, like in the U.S. or something. But it's it still is encouraging to watch these models work and see people trying something new. And then if there's an uh, if there's an alternative to what we're doing now that could finally work someday, I mean, I hope it I hope it happens in my lifetime because I think it would be a great thing. So that's it. Let's go to. Um, let's go to a little closer. We're getting we're past an hour now. Already. Yeah. So there's one there's one thing that I wanted to talk about, um, which I think is uh, a, a pretty interesting story. Um, I like to talk about uh, Instagram got in big trouble because uh, they pulled a, a picture, uh, a picture on Instagram that was considered to be um, uh, pornographic. 
They really? Said, yeah. So they pulled the picture down. Instagram. They, yeah, Instagram. You're not allowed to post. Uh, I know they don't like nipples. They don't like nipples, and they don't like any nudity on Instagram. So they they'll pull your account. So that someone posted this uh, picture on uh, Instagram. Uh, we're gonna find it, right? So, and it was uh, you saw the picture, eh, Dave? I'll put it up on the TV on the monitor here. Um, yeah, I'd like to see it again, actually. There it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the in question, there's a, there's two women. You can see the women here. There's a brunette and I would say like a, a dirty a, a a dirty blonde, right? They're both wearing uh, bathing yeah, suits. Dirty. Blonde. One's wearing like a Borat type bathing suit, like you know Borat's bathing suit, but it's uh, not green like Borat's was. This is very floral printed, you know. So the straps come down over her breasts, like they're fairly uh, just barely over the they're just over the nipples, really, right? Yeah, well, there's straps, a but she, she's a she'd be a small-chested woman. Real low cut in the front. Another girl's wearing a bikini, the same pattern, same material, um, and uh, she's kind of pulling her, her her bikini top up. And if you look, you can kind of see the nipple. They said that's the shadow of a nipple, but uh, I look at it; it looks like a real nipple to me. But where it becomes interesting here, and which becomes a real hotbed of controversy, is what happens down below with these two beauties. And uh, what it is is uh, where their bathing suits come down. Uh, and these aren't really skimpy bathing suits by any stretch of the imagination. They're fairly, you know, wide-covering bathing suits. Would you they say? are. They are, but they're high cut in the on the hips. You know, like the nineties, yeah, eighties, like nineties. Yeah, yeah. Uh... yeah, very old-fashioned style bathing suit, but also very old-fashioned style pubic region. It's uh, because spilling out on either side of both of these girls' uh, bathing suit bottoms. Is a plethora of pubic of pubis, a real thick nest of pubic hair. <laughs> yeah, a real thick nest, right? Thick like beaver. <laughs> it is a big nest of pubes, uh, and this was what they said. Nothing I would consider to be like a nude. It's not. There's no like. There's no genitals showing. It's not. No, uh, no it's covered up completely. It would be the same as if I was wearing, uh, you know, a speedo. And you'd see all the, the the glorious hair that that protrudes from my crotch. It would, would spill out over the side and lower back. And nobody would <laughs> nobody would find that to be obscene. That would just be a nice, a normal picture of a of a man that's uh, in his all his glory. A nice middle aged man right. wearing yeah. a speedo. Yeah, who has who has a, a lot of body hair, you know. So I mean, uh, you know, nothing obsessive. No one would pull that down from Instagram. Me wearing a just looks natural to me. So these girls was pulled down. Uh, there was a, quite a public outcry against uh, why they would uh, remove the account over a picture so innocent as this with just two girls with a little bit more pubic hair than what uh, we've grown accustomed to over recent history. And uh, It's so, safe to say if these girls had, had removed their pubic hair, the picture would probably still be on Instagram. It would be on Instagram. That is, the, that is exactly the point, right? If they, didn't, if they did shave their pubic region like many girls do, they would... Uh, uh, they would definitely have not have a, not have that picture pulled. So that becomes the question. So Instagram was challenged on it, and Instagram right away apologized, said they made a mistake, and allowed it back on again. And so now this is not considered obscene. Oh, good for them. But uh, what my what I think this really is signifies to the rest of the world is that the bush is back. The bush is coming back. If it's not back already, it's on its way back. So uh, it's it's, a, it's about damn time. Yeah, if you ask me. But let's give it a let's give it a round of applause because I think that the bush. Needs a little bit of credit. Welcome back, Bush. Welcome back. A little kiss for the girls, eh? So you, what I'm worried about here 
And all the <laughs> sorry. There's a few concerns, of course, with this hair. coming back and with this trend, this trend that's upon us. There's a few concerns, right? Number one, we had just rid the world of the epidemic, or at one point, probably more in the 70s, definitely more of a concern when you're out there gallivanting, as I understand people did more in in those days. They would gall- they would have uh, lots of sexual partners. Promiscuity. And crabs were a real problem because they 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 had a nice warm environment to uh, in which to uh, breed and 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 stuff and so they shelter yeah so they they flourished in this in this sea of, of pubic hair and over time what happened was uh, women decided that uh, because of the pornography industry that it became more uh, fashionable to uh, shave their 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 pubic region and. Uh, so it became normal for women to shave their pubic region to the point where a lot of women would go out and get their pussies lasered, you know, like so they would never have to worry about shaving it again. They'd get it lasered so it would never Ouch. grow back. And there's quite a few women of my age, of our generation and younger, who have uh, had this procedure and they will never, ever be able to grow uh, the glorious uh, pubic hair that these girls have um, ever again. So they're going to be stuck wearing... Uh, bell-bottom pussy for the rest of their life. That's what they're going to be done. It's yeah. going to be like the, they're going to definitely be they're in a, a public uh, uh, shower situation, maybe a prison shower, like where you <laughs> <laughs> or the local pool, the local swimming pool. Yeah, or strippers for that matter. You go to a strip club, probably in the future, you're going to see some girl coming out on stage with a lasered uh, pubic region and and uh, anus, and then uh, <laughs> and she would uh, and you'd right away say. Hey, is your mom up there stripping? Yeah. What's with the ball puss? The know? rest of the girls would be like giggling and pointing. It'll only be girls up to the age of like 11 and uh, over the age of 40 that'll have bald pussies and then everyone yeah. else will have a big ha- right. hairy bush, right? And that's... <laughs> You'll totally be able to date them. At, like, I mean, by date, I mean like tell when, when how old they are yeah. based on their pubic region. Like the lower back tattoo, you can tell yeah. a person's from the you know, early 90s if you got the stamp trap on the back with California license plate. Oh, I'd say that's probably millennial. I think the, the oh, yeah. stamp stamp's about 2000, yeah. I'd say uh, early 90s is more of the rose tattoo or the barbed wire. The barbed wire, oh, mid-90s. Yeah. Mid-90s for the barbed wire. But I'd say the rose on the shoulder is definitely early 90s. Or ankle. Or ankle. Dolphin on the ankle, too. It's a big one. Yeah, that was a good one of that era. And then uh, I'd say now it's definitely the uh, prose written on your the side of your body. Yeah, that's right. That's a big one. Or like big... Down you know, the rib cage or, or uh, sometimes on the back of your shoulder, too. They like to write the words. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what... It, so I'd say that's definitely it. Anyways, welcome back, Bush. We like to have you back. We think we've accomplished a lot of good things here today, Dave. Don't you think? It has been a great show. I just hope that uh, Haitian Dwarf is. I hope we've solved his problem. Well, we've we've given our apology. We've done everything that was asked of us by those uh, ruthless people. So we hope that we've solved the Haitian Dwarf problems, right? We've uh, we've introduced the world to a, a glorious new theme song, right? We've we've pointed out how people can go get great deals at VG Meats. Or they can uh, help support Life in the Dutch Hall by going on Life in the Dutch Hall and, and clicking on the Amazon banner and sending money back. You can get T-shirts for sponsored on PayPal. All great things, it's right? It's been a great show. It's been a great show. And we've also been able to tell the world the Bush is back. You know, we've, we have nothing left to do here. All we have left to do is is play the theme song. Well, so, everybody, thanks a lot for, for uh, listening to the show. Uh, please uh, reach out to me with feedback anytime you want. Uh, at life in the Dutch Hall gmail.com or you can go on uh, life in the Dutch Hall's Facebook page and send me an instant message 
tw- uh, tweet or send me a DM on Twitter, uh, at Dutch Hall on Twitter. And other than that, we're gonna see you next week, everybody. Thanks a lot for listening. Tell a friend. Give me some. Fi- give me some feedback. And done. Oh. And yeah. Almost. Eh? Hello, Utah. And Tasmania. All right, we did it again, Dave. Another one in the can. I was thinking that was good about last week's show. We didn't tell him about big TV deal.